Good morning. Good morning. Uh, welcome to Sierra Bible Church. If by chance you've come in and I haven't had an opportunity to say hi to you and meet you, my name's Jesse, and uh, I get the opportunity of preaching the word on most Sundays here at Sierra Bible Church, which is just a, a great privilege of mine, and um, and uh, deeply enjoy it. And <clears throat> we've just put behind us, uh, if you're here this morning, right, we just put behind us uh, Christmas and, and Christmas Eve, so we had two services on Christmas Day, two services on Christmas Eve, and preached during uh, both of those, uh, well, all four of those uh, messages, and, and then was rewarded by getting up really early in the morning uh, to open gifts with my children, and, and then enjoy way too many people in one house, and all of my family, and all of that, and uh, and then and then over the coming days, my wife and I got this crazy idea to reorganize the uh, uh, the boys' uh, bedroom, and, and so we, we drove to Ikea, took all four kids uh, to Ikea, um, which I do not recommend uh, at all. It, uh, it was quite an adventure, and so um, uh, they're still alive. That's the good news. Kids are still alive. I haven't uh, taken them out of this, this world yet, so uh, it, was, it was great. And then I was rewarded after Ikea to put all the furniture together. Uh, and so um, it's, it's been exhausting. And now, and so I've been in such a time where I referred in the first service, not on one occasion, but multiple occasions, that tonight was Christmas Eve. And literally, I'm not kidding with you, for the last three or four days, I have thought that this is Christmas Eve. Uh, see, and I just said Christmas Eve. I meant New Year's Eve. See? We're, we've got a problem this morning. So we're going to pray here for me in a moment. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. One of the ushers will glad you, gladly hand you one. We're um, in the book of James. We've been in the book of James for a little while now. We're going to continue it. Uh, if you're visiting, you know, our, our methodology that we believe deeply in is we have, a, we have a high value and a high honor system for God's word. We, we believe in it. We believe it's God's speech. And so um, we typically walk through uh, books of the Bible. So we've been in James. Uh, we're going to start in chapter 4. Uh, and we'll be in verse 11. I'm going to refer to James chapter 1, but we're in chapter 4, verse 11, because previously, prior to uh, the holidays, we were in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And so we walk through the Bible. We typically pick a book. Uh, so we're in James. We spent an entire year in John, which was a great experience, I think, for our church. And some people thought it was too long, but you could spend a lot more than a year in John. Uh, and then we kind of jump back and forth between uh, Old Testament and New Testament to ensure that we cover the whole counsel of God's Word. And, and so if you are visiting, this is our routine. This is what, what we do. Uh, we want to encourage you to follow along. So if you, you got a Bible, turn to James chapter 4. If you have your Bible, turn there. If you have a fake digital Bible, you're more than welcome to turn that on uh, and go there as well. And then a couple things while you're turning there that I want to um, make you aware of. A few people have asked me uh, about our screens. If you remember we, we talked about we, we had a need to raise some funds to replace all the equipment. We're replacing the software. Uh, we're going to start doing um, live streaming for sermons. Uh, and we'll talk more about that when we start to put it in because we want to make sure people understand that, that live sermons are for like when you're sick and you're at home and that you don't replace church with your phone or your computer because we would say that you're wrong in doing that. So. Um, but we'll talk more about that, and I'll give you more implications theologically of why and stuff. So we're putting all that in, <clears throat> and um, this morning, the, the left screen went out for quite a while, and we got it back uh, by, by the miracle of the Lord. And so we've raised those funds, but we haven't replaced it yet, and a few people have asked, well, have you replaced them? Because nothing looks different, nothing seems better. 
And I said, well, yeah, we, we, we have the funds. Everything's there. We've purchased some of the equipment. However, um, the timing just hasn't been right. So I don't know if you guys know this, but the average lifespan of a pastor is three years. And at Sierra Bible Church, we've got a staff of, of seven. Our secretary has been here longer than, than Wayne. So, and then Wayne's after that. He's been here just for just a little while. And then, and then I, I've been here for 15 years, uh, coming up on 15 years. Uh, Brad, how long have you been here now? Exactly 10? So, so what we have, we have a policy. We want to keep our guys healthy. And so uh, we try to give our guys a three-month, a minimum of three-month sabbatical every 10 years where they get to get away for three months and just uh, regroup. And so Brad's sabbatical is coming up at this time that we've got all, you know, trying to install the equipment. And the reason that's important is because Brad is the guy who runs all of the digital equipment. I'm not your guy, and no one else is your guy, and you don't want anybody else to be your guy for that. We want Brad to be that guy. And since he's leaving, we can't put it in until he gets back. So there's a possibility that we may be going back to transparency screens, you know, the little, <laughs> that might happen. And we've had that discussion as elders, and, and we've basically said, you know, Jesus saved people uh, before uh, PowerPoint and projectors. He can still save people with transparency screens and everything. So uh, be praying for Brad because it's going to be important for him to take that time away. Uh, and then pray for us as we install that equipment because it will be a little bit of a learning curve uh, for, for the screens back there. We're updating everything. Uh, and if, people have asked, well, like, why? It's, well, it's old, and it's going out, and it's outdated, and, and we got to keep up with that stuff. So be praying for that. And then, uh, you know, we support... Travis and Amber in Mexico with a ministry called So Ministry. So stands for Serving Orphans and Widows. And Travis has been in Mexico for several years with his wife and his kids uh, taking care of orphans in Mexico. Uh, One of the biggest needs that has come up as he served over there for several years is orphanages can't afford and don't take on the legal complexities of taking care of orphan children between the ages of zero and three, which is really sad. And all the statistics will say if you can get a kid between zero and three, and bring them in, you actually will alleviate all the problems after that. After three, you're still maybe going to have some big issues. So they said, listen, we're going we're gonna to open up our own orphanage. And they've been working on that. We've tried to communicate with you what they're doing. Uh, they had a, per, a piece of property, property that they thought was perfect that they were going to buy to build an orphanage on, raised those funds, and had the price negotiated. And then the owner of the land found out that it was a Christian, and he raised the price and made it more difficult and said, well, if you buy this land, you also have to buy all this other land around it because I don't want to piece it out because he basically said an orphan's going to devalue my, my other parcels around it. So they backed out of that. They found another piece of land. There are negotiations for it. They're trying to finalize one last piece with the town. As soon as the town says that they can basically put a road uh, to their property, which will help them get pro- uh, power and stuff to it, uh, they'll be able to close on that property. So be praying for them. Uh, and, uh, and, and if you're supporting them, we're, we're thankful for that. Many of you in the church here help support them, and those are the kind of things that your tithes and your offerings uh, do for us uh, as a church. So be praying for them. Amen? Okay, <clears throat> that's your update. Uh, as I stated before, we have a, a high value of the word, and so uh, if you're able to this morning, I want to encourage you to, to stand one more time at uh, we do we do do this to honor God's word, but it also helps me make sure that you're going to be awake for the next uh, 40 minutes or so. That was supposed to be funnier than it was. <laughs> chapter, I want you to do me a favor. I want to tie chapter 1, verse 26, with some of the context from James 4, verse 11. 126. 
If anyone thinks he is, a, he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Chapter 4, verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges a brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Or we come before you again and we invite you into our presence, admitting, Lord, that you are not in need of an invitation. Lord, this is your people. All that we can see, feel, and touch belongs to you. We confess we own nothing. Yet we say this prayer, Lord, knowing that really the invitation that is needed is for our hearts to be open, to be sensitive to what it is you would say to you, to us and to your people, to your church for the glory and the expanse of your kingdom and our joy. I pray, Lord, we would hear from you now. In Jesus' name, the church said, you may be seated. So I kind of warned our church when we started James that James would be, to a great degree, a a hard book to go through, especially in, in... as I prayed to do, you know, to preach through James, coming off of the heels of preaching through the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is like, just a, it was a fun book to go through. You've got this massive fish small, swallowing this rebellious preacher. And, and some of us sat in our seats and prayed, you know, swallow the preacher, get him out of here. And uh, it just was a fun book to go through. And then we, we got into James and I said, you know, in Jonah we see God's heart for people who aren't like us. Uh, And so we were challenged that God wants for our church and for his kingdom for us to be as diverse a group of people as possible. Young, old, rich, poor, you name it, God's heart is for all people. And Jonah was challenged in that, to to be an evangelist to people uh, that were not like him, that God's message would go to a people that it didn't normally go to. And then we got into James and we said, okay, like, like God's heart is for all people, but it's not sufficient. It's not enough to just say that You actually have to do something with the knowledge that is preached from God's word. You have to be a doer of the word. And so we've been challenged in our faith. And I stated to many of you that that your faith would be challenged. That in essence, and James uses this language, that a mirror would be placed in front of you. You would look into the mirror. You would actually see the true state of your soul. And would you do something about it or would you walk away and try to forget what was actually being shared? I share all of this now because James comes to this particular point in chapter 1, connecting with chapter 4, where he says, if anyone thinks he's religious. Now, now let's, let's understand what he means by religious. He doesn't mean just somebody who, who does all, all the good things, it's all about the law. He's literally saying if someone thinks that they're filled with faith, if somebody, if somebody really believes in God, if you say that you actually believe in Jesus Christ, You see, most of us are here this morning, most of us, maybe not all, but most of us are here this morning because we we have a sense that God is real, that God exists, and that God has manifested his goodness and his grace in the person of Jesus Christ, which is what we celebrate on Christmas Day, Emmanuel. God is actually with us. 
right? There's this reality that, that, that what Christianity teaches is that without Jesus, you can't know God. That's a reality. I, I get this question every now and then, both from those who've been saved for a little while and, and those who aren't Christians. What, what happens to people who've never heard the message, who've never heard the message of Jesus Christ? The Bible touches upon that in Romans to a certain degree when it says, when you go outside and you look at nature, there's something about nature that declares that there is a God and that there is a designer. That, that, that even, there's even those who, the scientists who, who will not submit themselves to the reality of faith that Jesus exists and there's miracles and there's a God who walked on water. But they'll say, they'll say there are secular scientists who say that indeed there's no way that we're here by accident. And they'll use the term intelligent design. Are you familiar with that term? It's not God. It's not Jesus, but something. Maybe it was aliens, which has even been a theory that people believe. They won't believe in Jesus, but they'll believe in aliens, to which I say, okay, you're just as weird as Christians, right? <laughs> yet, yet we, we, again, you go outside, you look at the trees, they grow upward, you look at the fish, and then you think of the stars and the galaxies. And what the Bible says is the Bible says that, that Jesus, the God, the, the one who created everything, that, that he is known through Christ. See, if you stand outside and you try to get to know God without Jesus, it's an impossible task. He's too holy. He's too beautiful. He's too majestic. He's more gracious than you could ever think or imagine. He's more loving and more righteous and more filled with righteous judgment than we could ever comprehend. He's all of these things and more. And you walk outside and you look at the galaxies and you see, for instance, that, that the galaxy is still expanding by, by so much every second. Just, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then there's us. And yet we somehow think we're the center of it all. And if we, we go outside and we try to know a God who created everything, it's impossible. So Jesus comes. He is God. He's the Emmanuel. And he says, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. God Jesus, Jesus puts flesh on God for us. God with us. It helps us comprehend the goodness of God. And that's what we celebrated at Christmas. And that's what we pray for for those who don't know Christ. We pray that they would come into this encounter where they see the God who, who created the galaxies exists and you can know him and you can feel his love and you can actually have an increase of joy and peace in your life because you've encountered this great God who's found in Jesus. And many of you, again, you're, you're here. You're here because you believe that. You came at Christmas Eve because you believe that. You shared this message of salvation with friends to bring them at Christmas Eve because you believe that. You maybe invited someone that you really love here this morning because you believe that and you know that it's worth it. But James says, let me share something with you. He says, hey, if you believe that, if you think that you have true faith in this God and you're a true Christian and you don't bridle your tongue, well, you've deceived yourself and your religion your faith, it's worthless. Ah. You're like, oh, I'm so glad I'm here this morning. <laughs> Someone said to me when they walked in, they said, I can't wait to squirm in my seat this morning. That's what I heard from the first service. Because there's a challenge here. The challenge that James gives us is he essentially says, and he says it even more so in James chapter 1 previously to this, where he talks about the reality of the power of words. The power of words have the ability to define you and to define people that you speak about. It has the ability to actually dictate your life. James says that the tongue can control the whole course of life. You can actually do a little experiment. It'd be maybe difficult to do, but you, you could look at where you're at in life 
And either the success of your life or the lack of success in your life could be directly tied to how good you are with your words, your speech. You ever think about an interview? You sit down for an interview? It's all words. For the most part, it's all words. Body language, still words. And you can look and see that, that, that you have made something of yourself because you've been good and wise and kind and loving with your words, or you haven't been. Or, or on the flip side of that, if you're here this morning, there's a good chance you have been shaped by someone else's words of you. Think about it. Have you ever had someone say to you, 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 you finally were able to make that one last leap of faith to, to a new greater field of fruit because someone said, I believe in you. You can do it. Or you didn't take the step because someone said, I don't think you're the right guy for the job. I've shared with you before that when I stood before the church to go to San Diego to go to the school of ministry, and we stood up here, and, and, and Wayne had me and two other young men, we were 21 at the time, to, to raise funds to go to a school of ministry because I just I needed to get my life right. And someone in the church at that time came to me and said, I thought about giving you funds, but I don't think you're worth the investment. <laughs> I like how you said that. I almost said I proved him wrong. Right? God proved him wrong, yeah. Uh, because th- th- my point in that is, is tying now to, to what James is saying. Listen, you can believe in Christ, but if, you, if you're not attempting to bridle your speech, it's, it's really not worth anything. He's tying your, your faith inside your heart to what comes out of your mouth. And then... James, you remember, James is pulling from two beautiful resources in the Bible. In the Old Testament, he's grabbing all this stuff from Proverbs. In the New Testament, he's pulling all this great stuff from the Sermon of the Mount, where Jesus is preaching what it looks like. Blessed are the meek, and blessed are the poor in spirit. And James is pulling these things in, and, and from the Proverbs in, James is considered like the book of wisdom. And, and if you ever read Proverbs, like I don't know uh, how many of you have ever challenged yourself to uh, do the Proverb challenge thing where you read a proverb every day of the month because there's 31 chapters, a lot of months with 31 days, and you can, you can do that for a full year. You just keep revisiting it, and there's nuggets in there because Proverbs is just all about wisdom, like what it looks like to live poetically, what it looks like to live artistically, what it looks like to live for God's glory. But, but at the same time, like, I, I think Proverbs is really good for people who have ADD because it's just all over the place. right? You read one verse, and it seems like it's not even connected to the next verse, and then it, it pops back, and it's just like boom, 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 boom. It's just moving around. And it's just filled with all kinds of knowledge where you almost like you read it, and it says something, and you go, give me more. And then it changes topics. <laughs> and James, if you read James, James almost has that feel. But if you look really closely, James is, is always connecting everything that he says very beautifully from chapter to chapter, and he, he's weaving things back together. One of those examples is the one I just shared in our, mo- our moment of reading together while we were standing. If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, well, your religion is useless. And then he revisits it. He's not done talking about your mouth. And he goes two chapters later, gone through chapter two, gone through chapter three, where we did chapter four, the first segment of it. And now he says in verse 11, do not speak evil against your brothers. Now, the word do not speak evil against your brothers is the word slander. And slander, what slandering is, is slandering is literally, it literally means to belittle, 
to talk down to somebody or to treat them as, as small. I had to go back a little bit to Webster's Dictionary from 1828 to find a, a better definition of slander. This is Webster's 1828 definition of slander. Webster defines slander as a false tale or report maliciously uttered intending to injure the reputation of another by lessening him in the esteem of his fellow citizens by exposing him to impeachment and punishment or by the impairing of his means of living. So there's two parts of slander. One part to slander is you just lie about somebody to to make them feel small or, or to elevate yourself or to find a common connection with someone else. That's part of it. Another part of it is to use truth in a way that isn't helpful. So we justify our slander. We justify our gossip when we say, well, well, well this, is, this is for their good, or, 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 or we're, we're just talking about something that happens to be true. It's okay that I'm talking about it because it's true, and as long as it's true, well, it's not really slander. I used uh, an example this morning of my own particular uh, sin, so that way you could be given an example, and I've kind of checked on this to make sure I could do this with you this morning. This would be a, I'm going to slander right now. I'm going to sin before you right now, which is like a horrible thing to probably say in church. Um, so I got a friend. We go, we go out for burritos on a regular basis. And my friend, every time, every time we go out for burritos, I kid you not, he, sa- he stands up to the counter and he tells them, okay, I want a burrito. Muy caliente. Por favor, make it hot. And he says that because when we sit down, he, he then butchers, <laughs> he butchers the burrito, tears it open, sticks his finger in the middle, and it's never warm enough, and he sends it back every single time. And we go there a lot together. And then we go up front, he sees the same guy, he goes, muy caliente. Si, muy caliente. Rips it apart, it's too cold, sends it back. He gets a new burrito every time. I don't know why he does it, but he does it. And I share the story because because even though that's true, if I share his name and I share it in a certain way, I could belittle him. And when we belittle somebody, the object object isn't just to crush them, it's to make ourselves feel better. Right? We slander in all kinds of different ways. So we just came out of the holidays, right? Here's another example. Just came out of the holidays. Just came out of Christmas. We still have New Year's Eve coming. It's not tonight. I was reminded several times when people left. Tonight is not New Year's Eve. And when you're doing holidays, you're with family, right? How many of you experience within family this tension, this reality of what it is to talk about some other family member or to be talked about by another family member when you're not there? And it's true. What you share about the family member might be true, but it's not helpful to them. Right? You know, here's, here's another way to paint this picture. I do a lot of weddings, and when you do weddings, you take family A with family A's traditions, and they marry family B with family B's traditions. And then they end up at some point doing what they've never done before. Tradition A then encounters tradition B with much violence and force. <laughs> I, I mean, everything from they cook turkey on Christmas. You don't cook turkey on Christmas. Turkey's for Thanksgiving. Prime rib is for Christmas. Can you believe they cook turkey? 
Right, that's a small example. Uh, there's other examples, though. Can you believe they shop this way? Can you believe that they spend money this way? All of those things that we put forth and put out, it's all slander, and it's not helpful. It's harmful. And the Bible continually denounces this kind of speech. Gossip, slanderous speech. Levitic, Leviticus 19.16. You shall not go around as a slander among your people. Pretty straightforward. Psalm 15.19. You give your mouth free reign for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. So it's family talking about each other. It goes on and says, you who forget God. He attaches and says, what happens here when you're slandering is you're forgetting the goodness of God. And David goes on in Psalms and says, whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, all destroy. In Psalm 140, verse 11, don't let the slander be established in the land. The Bible continually rebukes it. Out of the six things that God hates in Proverbs 6:19, the last one is the false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among his brothers. So you have this reality that that none of us and, and James chapter 1 tells us this that none of us are good with our mouths. So the encouragement as we kind of progress forward in the message is this. You're you're entering into a new year. And in the new year, we have this tradition that we're going to set up for ourselves, you know, new goals, uh, a New Year's resolution. And many of you know, because I share it on a regular basis from my own life, for examples and everything, that, that I go to the gym on a regular basis. So I'm not looking forward to the next two weeks in the gym. Because there's going to be a bunch of people in Tahoe who are going to resolve to go to the gym for the next two weeks, and the gym's going to be overcrowded for two weeks. Now, the good news is, is most of you will only last two weeks. And then I will have my gym back to myself, <laughs> right? And, and we, as we're thinking about this New Year's resolution, if you're thinking about what's really healthy and helpful in life, I would encourage us as a church to resolve in the New Year to actually deal with this very subtle deceit, with, with this, this small member that James says in chapter 1 is the small member that controls a very large thing. He, 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 he likens it to the, the rudder on a ship, a boat, a very large boat controlled by a very small part. And, and so how, how much more impactful would we be if we take some of these things to heart this morning in regards to our mouths? So, so what I'm moving for, even though we're in James, I'm still trying to tie it into this reality of where we're at in our culture, that this would be a really good thing for us to resolve towards in 2019. Because James just said, just to emphasize it again and again and again, if you don't attempt to bridle your tongue, everything you believe, your faith is useless. And the reason that I'm, I have to keep saying James says it is I don't want you to get mad at me. The Bible said it. And you remember what we say on a regular basis here. If you disagree with the Bible, it's because you're wrong. See, you're wrestling. I see you. some of you are, man, I don't know. Yes, you know, you know better. The Bible knows better than you. It knows your heart better than you know your own heart. And so we have to come back to this reality where God's saying, okay, listen, you want to really see what kind of person you are? Let's talk, about, let's talk about what's going on in your heart. Now, this deceit, this talking, this negative talking is driven by a couple things. Psalms in chapter 41 as well as chapter 109 tell us that it's driven by hate. All who hate me whisper about me. 
Psalm 109.3, they encircle me with words of hate. So, so one of the reasons God wants to deal with this is because what comes out of your mouth is an indicator of what's in your heart. And so if these hate-filled speech, this negative speech is coming out, it's because you're a negative person. And so we want to deal with that. We don't want to be hate-filled people. It's also an indication that you're simple-minded. Again, the Bible says this, not Jesse, right? Because I want to make sure you're mad at the right thing. Proverbs 2019, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple blabber. Proverbs 10.18, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever, whoever utters slander is a fool. So, so our speech, if it's negative, it indicates that we're actually simple-minded. We're not really thinking through the big picture, and it indicates that there's something wrong with our heart, that something inside of our heart is off, something's wrong, and, and that we're not truly seeing God, as the other verse said earlier, you have forgotten God. So again, we want to deal with these things. We're going to get there in a moment. In addition to that, we have to understand the origin of slander itself comes from the devil. The word devil literally means slanderer. And you'll see this in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, what Satan's full-time job is. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Now that salvation and power in the kingdom of God and the authority of Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers, speaking of the devil, has been thrown down, and he accuses them day and night before God. You, you know what Satan's constantly doing? He's talking trash about you. And you either are believing those lies that Satan whispers to you, or you're identifying with the truth that God speaks to you. Again, back to the importance of God's word, that you're identifying with what God says about you, not what Satan says about you. But think of that for a moment. The very first slandering occurs in the beginning of the Bible, where Satan himself slanders God. He says something of God that is not true. Did God really say that if you eat this apple, that bad things would happen? Did he really say that? And again, I want us to understand the great power of God's, uh, what, what God's trying to teach us in regards to our words here. You have the ability to shape and mold people into the likeness of God with good speech. To encourage them, to empower them to make them do things that not even them, they themselves know that they're capable of. And you, can, you also have the power to do the exact opposite. And you have the power to actually be allowing Satan to preach lies to you or to listen to the real words of God. Because every single day, we're dealing with this to some degree or another. And we have this natural tendency, it's every human being's natural tendency, and that is to forget God's speech to us. It, well, it's not just God's speech, it's everything. We have this incredible knack at forgetting the goodness of God. You see it in Israel. You see it in the disciples. You see it in Peter. You, you see it in us. Anybody guilty? Okay, I'll be the only one to raise my hand. I don't even care. Man, like, it's just natural. It's easy to get to this place to forget that, that God loves me in spite of me and that I'm not identified by the lies that I hear or by what society says about me, or what the culture says about me, or what Facebook says about me, or what Instagram says about me, or what Twitter says about me, or what anything out there says about me, or what, what Netflix and all of its documentaries say about human society, those things don't speak truth to me. Those things don't actually shape who I'm supposed to be. They shouldn't. What should shape me, mold me, and move me is what Jesus says about me, which goes back to, Je to, to James 1 in that first verse we read. You have a real faith. And that real faith is that Jesus Christ molds and shapes your identity. He gives you a new name as we shared on Christmas Eve. 
God gives you a new identity and a new purpose. Christ himself calls it being born again. Everyone say born again. It's new life. We've got a gal here who has been coming to church, and she, she's like, like, she's either saved, and we don't know it yet because she hasn't said it, or she's going to be saved soon. And she repeated the gospel to this person who's been sharing her faith with her. And, and this, was, this was her word. She said, she, the friend who's discipling, she said, she understands the gospel better than many of the Christians I've known for several years. And, and one of the things that I've said about James is, your faith is going to be evaluated. And, and then here's the thing I would add to that. I would rather the person who was saved for 15, 20, or 30 years actually really, really evaluate their faith than the person who's been saved for six months or a year. Because what happens within the church is after a little while, you forget the goodness and the grace of God. You forget what God saved you from. And then you don't mean to do it, but you become very self-righteous and judgmental. And then the church is filled with a bunch of Pharisees who think they know Jesus, when in reality, the person who's only been for six months is the only real Christian in the room. There's this great story that's been shared here before, and it bears uh, being repeated. We had a guy here several years ago, before I was the senior pastor, who got saved at SBC. His name was Jim Rippey. Many of you know him. Jim Rippey was known as uh, snow, uh, Burton Snowboard's top uh, number one snowboard sales guy for like 10 years in a row. He, they made an action figure after this guy. He's the first one. You'll see him in some of the shops around town. First guy ever uh, to do a backflip on a snowmobile. First guy to do it. And he got saved in our church. Didn't grow up in church. If I remember right, his dad was an, was an atheist. Didn't have a relationship with his mom. He gets saved here. And Wayne goes over to his house shortly after he gets, becomes a Christian. Wayne goes over to his house, and they sit down in his living room to have a Bible study. Sitting on the coffee table, Wayne's words, it's the biggest bong I've ever seen. I don't know how many bongs Wayne has seen in his life. Apparently, this is the biggest one. And Jim just moved it off to the side, didn't say anything about it, didn't talk about it. And Wayne didn't say anything. He just had a Bible study about Jesus with Jim. Wayne didn't, didn't get to go into the room and go, Jim, you can't be a Christian. You got a bong, dude. What is this thing? I mean, you imagine Pastor Wayne, he's been a Christian for a long time. You just imagine the look on his face. Praying that Jim doesn't offer him a hit, right? <laughs> Let's have a Bible study, bro. <laughs> I hate teaching these passages and being the guy that's talking because there's a lot to regret. And he, no, he shared the great gospel of grace with Jim. Jim became a Christian, a strong Christian. He was a youth pastor for a little while. He's still a strong Christian. God's Holy Spirit dealt with Jim in regards to that particular issue. And sometimes in church, we're like, dude, we've got to deal with all this exterior stuff. And God's going back. The reason he's talking about speech isn't because he wants you to leave this room and try to just be really good about talking. We're going to get to some of that. We're going to get to that application. But what Jesus is really concerned with is the state of your heart. Let's deal with the state of your heart. The words will follow. I don't need to deal with the bong. I need to deal with the heart. Jesus will deal with the bong, man. And, and what's unfortunate is a lot of Christians across the United States of America make it all about the exterior. Dress the right way. Act the right way. Talk the right way. Some churches even make a big deal about the right translation. You better use the right translation. 
because that's the only one to use. In our church, this was a Sunday that we have set aside on purpose where we do hymns. We don't do hymns every week. Sometimes we have a full-blown group up here. We got drums and we have guitars. Do you know that I, I honestly believe this? You might disagree with me, and, and that's okay. I, I'm, I, I'm kind of, you know, up front, so your opinion doesn't matter. I'm not just, i got to be careful. I don't think God cares. I don't think God's up there going, man, you know what? I'm more pleased on that one Sunday when Brad does hymns than I am when they have the guitar. No, I think God's pleased when we actually shut our eyes in awe and gratitude that God allows us to sit in his presence. And and the word and the style and the clothing, who cares? Who cares? What matters is is that, that Jesus Christ came on our behalf and died on our behalf that we would be reconciled to God. And when you come into this room, nobody should be looking at anyone else and thinking that anyone else is better than anybody else because nobody's better than anybody else. God does not care how rich you are, how poor you are. He doesn't care what your race is. He doesn't care if you came from a particular family or what kind of degree you have. When you're in this room, you're a sinner who's in need of saving grace. That's it. And when we come together in a room like that, we're free to be imperfect. Because, because as much as I'm hammering the stuff that we need to fix our speech, he tells us again to reiterate the chapter one, but nobody's going to do this. So there's this tension. James is like, listen, man, listen, nobody has perfected his tongue. If you perfect your tongue, like you're, you're not even in need of, of Jesus is almost what he says. And then he tells us, but if your tongue betrays itself, well, then, then you really don't have real faith. What is he saying? He's saying we have to get back to the heart issue. If you're free with your words and there's no conviction, that should bother you. But if at least you know, man, I want to be better with my words. The thing that's been hard about this particular passage for me is I'm a sarcastic person, if you haven't noticed. And sarcasm isn't, isn't, (laughs) it's hard for me to admit and get it out. It's not always edifying. I know who it was. I know where it came from. It's not my wife. My wasn't my wife. Might as well be, though. And I, I confessed the sin in the first service and confessed another one here. And you know, we, we, uh, we took our kids, we do on a reg- like we do on a regular basis, we took our kids into Costco to do grocery shopping, which... I gotta stop taking my kids in public. I'm telling you, man. It's like, and um, and they're they're crazy. They're my kids in public places. It's just hard to keep them under wraps, under control. And and um, one of my kids was just giving me a really hard time. And I sarcastically said something like, "Well, I think that family'd like to have you." And I wasn't. I was seriously just you know joking and being sarcastic. And I've learned something about having kids, which is actually true even about some adults. My kids do not understand the difference between what is stated as real and what is sarcasm, right? They don't know. My eight-year-old is just now learning it to where, to where when I say certain things, he'll look at me and go, oh, I see. <laughs> You're being sarcasm. And I go, yeah, I am. But my younger ones, they don't see it. And so, <laughs> so my son hears me say this, and this is his personality. If you know him, he goes, fine, I'm going with him. 
and he began to leave us. And I had to convince him, stay with us. No, really, I want you to be with us. See, there's more sarcasm. And, and then later that night, he brought it up. And I could tell it hurt him. So then, now I'm having a conversation with my son, and I'm, I'm doing what every healthy father should do that believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I confessed to him that I sinned. I told him that I was wrong. And I apologized to him. And then I told him, this is why daddy needs Jesus just as much as you do. Best thing you can give your kids. It's not being perfect. It's confessing your imperfection and then pointing them to the one that's perfect. So all that to be said, slander is damaging. It shapes people. It's driven by a place in the heart that isn't healthy. Well, well, well how do you fix it then? Well, what's the solution? Because to a certain degree, I'm hoping you leave here, number one, with just a higher view of God. If I accomplish anything in my ministry, it's that your view of God is elevated, that you care more about who God is. To a degree that, that my position here, just it gets swallowed up, and you don't even see me, you just you see the goodness of God. As Spurgeon said, uh, Spurgeon said uh, there's, there's this great story of a, a couple, I, I'm going to butcher this a little bit, you'll have to look it up, but there was a, a guy who went to a a church in England at the time, and he visited the church, and he walked out of there, and he said, and I can't remember who the pastor was, he walked out of there and said, that has to be the most amazing sermon I have ever heard in my entire life. He said, there surely has never been a greater preacher than this man. And then the story goes on that this particular gentleman uh, the next week, went to go visit Charles Haddon Spurgeon's church. Great prince of preachers, well-known guy, a guy that I appreciate. And one of the first books I ever read was his lectures to his students. He, he used to train other pastors. And uh, the guy heard Charles Haddon's preach, and when he walked out of there, he said, surely, surely there can be no greater God than the one that we know. And I'm butchering the lines. It's much more powerful the way that it's written. But essentially, essentially, there is a way in which we handle our theology that gives us this, this just higher view of the goodness of Jesus Christ. And there's a way that elevates man. I don't want to be a celebrity preacher. I would make a horrible king. I would make a horrible priest. But it's Jesus who, who makes, he is the perfect priest. He is the perfect king. And so we want to lift him up. And so, so there's a part of me here that I'm hoping that, that number one, that from this sermon and, and from the, this year forth and even looking back, hopefully your view of God is elevated. The reason I share stories like that about failing as a father is to de-elevate myself and elevate my need for Jesus because we're all together in this. Amen? It also makes my job easier because you don't email me as much. What do you think I should do? Well, forget it. He's going to tell me to go to Jesus. <clears throat> so it has this, right, it, it has all this damage. How, how, do, how do we fix it? Number one, Scripture's really clear when it talks about slander. It says, put it away. Like, just don't do it. Like, that, obviously, that's, the first application is, like, easy. Just, it's not easy to do, but it's easy to at least state. Put it away. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, which is the heart issue. Put it away. He says the same thing in Colossians 3.8. Put it away. 1 Peter 2.1, 1, 
Put it away. That's number one. Put it away. Number two, stop, stop talking about people. And as Matthew 18 tells us, talk to them. Go talk to them. If you have an issue with somebody, like face, face-to-face conversation. You shouldn't talk about your pastor or your friend or your mom or your dad to other people. You should talk to them. Someone in my family asked for advice about something the other day. What do you think I should do? And they were offended because I said, don't talk to me about it. Talk to them. That's the encouragement. Go talk to the person. Matthew 18 principle. Number three, resolve to sanctify your speech. And what I mean by that is is literally, literally choose to not just put it away, but choose to only speak that which is beneficial to the hearer. That which is beneficial to the conversation. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Focus on good. Uh, Husbands, you want to make your marriage better? Just talk to your wife about the stuff that she's good at. Wives, you want to make your marriage a little better? Talk to your husbands about stuff they're good at. Don't talk about the negative stuff. You never take out the trash. (laughs) You never do these things. Like, you know, in counseling, we tell couples to stay away from that word, never and always. Because no one never, never, never does it. No one always. You always say that. It's like I'm running around always saying something. It's not true. It's a false statement. But, man, I really love when you tuck the kids in at night. I really appreciate the fact that you do the dishes for me on occasion. I just thank you for that. Thank you for being a hard worker. Thank you for making sacrifices for the family. Thank you that you enjoy doing Bible studies with the kids. Thank you that you're willing to take the kids to Awana during the week. Just find things, anything that's positive, and then focus on it. It's resolving to sanctify your speech. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always, when? Always be gracious. As Christians, we need to remember what graciousness is, right? It's unmerited, unearned. So when he's saying, let your speech always be gracious, talk about people in a way that they don't deserve in a way that you don't think that you deserve it. Because that's what Jesus is doing for you. Right? Like, many of us in the room, like, I, if, if I, if some of you I know well, some of you I don't know so well, but those of you that I know really well, I, I, I know you well enough to never be like, man, you're a saint. Like, I know some of you well enough to go, dude, you're not. You're just not a saint. But the Bible defines you as a saint. That's the biblical Christ-filled definition of every single believer. So, so season your speech with grace, and again, you have to identify one another and yourself with this kind of graciousness. Number three, if you notice in the text, you'll see the word brother is repeated three different times. And I think this is purposeful on James' part. I think he's saying, listen, if you want to solve slander, you have to understand, you have to understand that you have to see each other as family. This is one of my favorite things to preach about. This last, uh, this, during this Christmas season, we had people say uh, to me on several different occasions, they said to me, you know, this church feels more like family than my real family. Which kind of stinks, you know, Christmas time to feel that way, but at the same time, like, that's what God intended. Like, here at Sierra Bible, if you're a regular attender and you come, like, like, we consider you family. And the thing about this is, like, it doesn't make it all perfect, does it? Family's hard. Like, if you, if you come to church here and you make Sierra Bible Church your family, we are going to fail at loving you well. And, and here's the other side of that. You're going to fail at loving others well. 
but we're going to try because it's worth it. And so we have to understand that, that if we're going to resolve to sanctify our speech, especially within the church, we have to identify each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And you have to see that when you do that, when you're speaking poorly, you're breaking the law. That's why he says these words. He says, but if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law. What, what is he saying? He's saying, if, if you are talking slanders about somebody, you're breaking the law. What is the law? Love God and love others. That's the law. So when you slander, what he's saying is you're not loving God and you're not loving other people. And if you see each other as true family, you'll love them and you won't try to diminish them and try to make yourself feel bigger by pushing them down. Resolve to sanctify your speech. See each other as brothers and sisters. And then lastly, to really do this, I shared with you the Matthew 8 principle, and now there's the Matthew 7 principle. Matthew 8 principle, go, go one-on-one. Go talk to them. The Matthew 7 principle is take the log out of your eye before you take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Instead of talking about somebody, you should be evaluating yourself first. It was a fun little thing to have on the deck. Is We're going to close here in a moment. I was standing on the deck, and a couple, couple came out, and they said, oh, man, this holiday season, we've got this family member. They're, uh, they've been slandering, you know, slandering family, talking about the family. And, and uh, she, the wife, she said, yeah, we're going to have to do the Matthew 8 thing. We're going to have to. We're going to have to talk to them. And I loved it. The husband said, whoa, hold on. We've got to talk to ourselves first. We've got to talk with God first about ourselves because we've failed too. And, and uh, we'll let God's grace deal with it after that. But we've got to evaluate ourselves first. So it was great to see the interaction and the challenge. Or t- they, they actually had even said before they were talking to me on the deck, maybe we shouldn't talk to you yet until we've talked on, in the car on the drive home. You know how this stuff works out. Because my guess is you have been a victim of this, but you have also been a perpetrator as well. And the best thing that we can do as we enter into 2019 is to present ourselves before the Lord and say, okay, God, everything's a hard issue. And, and nobody's perfect. You're, any parents in here doing a, just a, a you know, A-plus job? Anybody want to say, yeah, man, A-plus job? I'm killing it, man. I'm doing a great job. No, most of us, someone said, well, give yourself a grade. Most of us are probably like, ah, C. C, C minus or something. It's, like, it's, not, it's not easy. Ministry's not easy. Loving God isn't easy. These things are difficult, but it's worth it. And 2019 should be, should be for us as a church, as, we'll, as it'll be a continual emphasis of mine, that we just place ourselves before the Lord and say, God, you love me in spite of me, and I'm super grateful for that. And, and, I mean, imagine, you know, one day you and I, we're, we're, for those of us who actually have put our faith in Christ, we're going to stand face-to-face with God, the God of the universe, not marred by any sin and perfection. How many words do you think that you will say? I mean, the angels that we're told in the Bible, the angels are literally always saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is, and is to come. That's all they say. I'm not painting a picture like heaven's going to be boring, we're all going to be through holy, holy. But it's this idea that Scripture paints for us, that when you're in the presence of God, you can't help but recognize. Nothing else to be said. And essentially what the angels are saying is, you're holy. 
you are and you always have been perfect. And you stand in the presence of God and you just you soak it in. It's so good. And your whole identity comes in place. Your life comes, you know, the lens of your life, the view of your life, the goal of your life, the purpose of your life, all those things start to make more sense in the presence of God. And part of that, again, is we look, we say, okay, my mouth is showing me where I'm at with God. Okay, Lord, I want to fix my mouth. Hey, you're not saying you want to fix your mouth. You're saying I want to fix my heart. So what do you do? You sit with him. And you soak in his speech. His words to you are always perfect, yeah? They're always right. He knows when to give you grace, and he knows when to rebuke you. You know the idea of judge? You don't always know how to rebuke, right? And you don't always know how to give grace, correct? If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Do I give him grace right now, or do I spank him? I don't know. God, give me wisdom. What would you have me do? And then hopefully God gives wisdom. Let's pray. Looking forward to a, a good 2019 with all of you. I know some of you are visiting, and we're thankful you're here. Thankful, you know, seriously, it means a lot to me that we have people who, who have the ability to own or rent or Airbnb another home and, and come here and visit us. And we're just so thankful that, that you come and, and that, man, there are so many other things you could be doing today. You, there was a family said, we came to church, we dropped off our heathen rest of our family members at the ski hill, and then we came to church. <laughs> you could be snowboarding. You could be skiing. You, you could be sledding. You could do a polar bear, bear plunge in Tahoe. I don't know why you would do that, but you could do that. You could be doing so many things, and instead, you're here. And I pray that it's worth it every week. So I thank you for being here. And, and those, those of you who are family that have been here, that are here every week, and you support our church, and you pray for our church, thank you. It means everything to us. And it allows us to continue to push forward to preach the gospel to more people that they would come to Christ. So we're praying for that. More babies to be born, right, Sam? How many more weeks do you got? Two more weeks. If you hear a splash, everybody just... <laughs> yep. It's good. We want more babies. Want, But we also want more people come to the Lord. And I... One of the things that's tough about a, a church of this size is there's some stories that are going down in our midst that I would love to share with you. But for those individuals in their privacy, it's taking everything in me to not share you, with you the miracles that are happening in our church, in our community. And it's good news. And, and seriously, your prayers, your support, your help, because we're going to the new year. And you know what? We want, we want to keep doing more for the Lord, not for the sake of doing more, but we're trying to grow God's kingdom we want to see people fall in love with God. We want to see their lives right. We want to see marriages heal. We want to see kids who've been rebelling for years to come back to Christ. We've got, we've got some kids that are still in this area that came to our youth group that have run away from Jesus, and I'm praying that one day they get their butts back in here and fall in love with Christ. So thank you for that. And to our staff this last year, John and Brad, they're the only ones here. We're short-staffed. The other ones, they all bailed on you for, for New Year's. Thank you, guys. We have a good family, and we want it to not cease to be that. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for another Sunday that you've set apart for us to hear from you. And I do pray, Lord, seriously, Lord, that the things that I've said that, that are not beneficial to the hearer, that you would allow those to dissipate and, 
you just really bring to the forefront of our minds <clears throat> your scripture to, to us, to change us, to move us, to mold us, to shape us. That, Lord, we would find you more lovely and attractive than anything else that this life has to offer. For truly your glory and beauty make everything else pale in comparison to it. Thank you for what you have done in 2018, and we thank you in advance for what you will accomplish in 2019. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, friends, let's stand together and...